the interesting thing about the conventional world um, is that they they really try to fit the box, right? You have to hit certain things, debt to income ratios, DSCR ratios, um, global cash flow, those types of things they have to check off the box or you're not going to get the loan. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Career Studies Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Cuyasso, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? Doing great. Uh, business is looking up. I'm uh, grateful for what's came in this year so far. Uh, haven't really felt the downturn as everyone's reading in articles across the nation and seeing what's going on in the stock market, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not feeling it yet, so that I'm grateful for that. But what about you, Rafael? How's it going over there? Yeah, it's it's super active. I think on the leasing side in particular, like I do a lot in the retail space and it's just been gangbusters. I mean, the vacancy rates are still very low. Consumer trends are still pointing to people spending money in the economy. So interested to see how it all plays out. And we actually have a great guest uh, to talk a little bit about, you know, about obviously the lending side of things. But, you know, as someone who is well versed in the economic, you know, landscape, uh, we can all maybe even get into some of the the things that are happening in that in that standpoint as well. So. Yeah. Kevin, can you can you can you say your last name as well? I want to yeah, make sure no I'm worries. saying it correctly. It's uh, pronounced Amolsh. Amolsh. There you go. Yeah. Kevin Amolsh. He's the president of Pine Financial Group. Yeah. Uh, and then we're really excited to host you, man. Really. Raphael, yeah. Jeff, thank you so much for having me on on today. I don't know when this is going to drop, and gosh, the economy, if we get there, is uh, changing pretty rapidly right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll do the best I can to share what I know about what's going on and and what I'm concerned with and what I'm not concerned with. But yeah, I'm excited to ha- excited that you had me on today. Oh, for sure. And in this, we're we're a couple weeks out on this, but but I'm sure it'll still be very relevant by the time we do sure. get uh, get going live. But to start off, what we'd like to do probably is to provide some context to your background. So if you can kind of give me yeah. a backstory of, on yourself. I think that'd be great. Yeah, I'll go quick here and then we can elaborate if you'd like. But I got mm-hmm. I, out of the out of high school, I went into the army and I did that because I was so sick and tired of school and they sold me on laser tag. And I was like, I could go get paid to play laser tag. So yeah, I went into the army, went to the infantry and I was saving money. And what I learned um, through that process is I needed to find something to do with the money because banks don't pay you anything. So I started reading books about investing and all of the experts I was reading were were pointing right to real estate. So I started focusing on real estate, I bought a house. I was just turning 21, moved out of it, kept it as a rental. And that's kind of when I realized that real estate is, is the vehicle that's going to create my wealth. Um, so I really just focused in, started buying a house or two houses every single month while I was going to school. Um, and then I, I fell in love with the financing side. The financing side really is the structure of the deal. Um, so I learned that. So how you negotiate it, how you write your offers, how you craft it all has to do with the money and how you're going to finance it. So I started I started doing the financing side. And I, in 2006, I was raising private money and loaning it out to other real estate investors, my friends. And, and I just turned that into a business. 2008, I started Pine Financial. Um, we're about 20, getting close to 2,500 loans um, done now, um, almost a billion dollars in, in business. So yeah, I found my niche. 
Yeah, and you started it at a great time. I mean, <laughs> you started right <laughs> when it was everything. But that that that, and I'd I'd love to hear like some context on that as well regarding yeah. what made what was the impetus to starting it at that moment in time? Was it during the what everything was happening, or was yeah. it still prior to that? Yeah, so I had a portfolio of almost sixty properties at that time, and I was working with um, a lady. Her name was Susan. Susan was basically my mentor. She took me under her wing, and was helping me on this on this raising private capital side. Well, when everything started to fall apart in 2008, I was taking a bath, right? Because of my my holdings and she was too. And and she decided, you know, it's, it's a lot safer to teach real estate than to actually do real estate. Um, and I am not that at all. I'm definitely a trenches guy. I'm a deal guy. So we decided to separate. Um, and I was having success with this and, and I felt I could um, mitigate risk. There's easy ways to do that in the lending side. So that's why I decided to start the company. Just Susan and I went different directions and, and yeah, that's where we are. For sure. Yeah. Wow. And, and, yeah. and, and I'm, as I'm sure as we'll dive into this further as well, I mean, starting a company during that time is as bleak as it did look, I mean, on the run up the last 10 or 15 years, I mean, it's been ap- astronomical. So, you know, oh, it, as, as though, as though, as long as, as though the, although the time may have seemed like it was a, probably a terrible time to do it. I'm, I'm yeah. of the mindset that, you know, if you take those risks in those depths, long term, it's going to pay off. So, well, money is made in the worst of times. That's where more millionaires are made. We talk, we think about it as well. If property values are going up and I'm investing in a hot time, that's how I'm going to make my money. But that's really not true. I mean, you could do that for sure, but you'll make more money if you're buying when everybody else is trying to get out. Right. I mean, it mm-hmm. sounds so obvious, but it's very scary. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's why people there's yeah. less people in, in in the environment because people do realize, oh my gosh, there's a lot of quote unquote potential risk involved with being in this landscape, and they decide to maybe right. not put themselves in those positions. And if you're willing to fight through it and you know get through to the other side, you're going to be in much better position from a market share standpoint. So exactly. it's definitely a smart idea. And you know, a lot of businesses that are successful today were started in that time. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean. And most, a lot of these businesses bootstrap too. I mean, it's just one of those things oh, where it's just, yeah. you, you take what you got and you say, all right, well, I'm betting on myself and just kind of run with it. That's right. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, Kevin, uh, um, you kind of said that you went into the, the residential side. Was there any interest in commercial at the beginning or uh, how'd you kind of go into that avenue? Yeah. Commercials was scary. Um, yeah. I look, it's just numbers. And I know that now, but when you're getting started, you have a little single family house or a little condo. It's, you can get your arms around that, right? It's, mm. it's easier to um, get comfortable with that type of investment. And the books I was reading was all residential stuff. So I really stayed on that side. Now, it, now I feel way more comfortable in the commercial space and there's a ton of money in it. Uh, it yeah. is a little bit riskier. It's not as liquid. So we're, we're careful with it. Uh, but it took me a while to get that confidence to be quite candid with you. Yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah. And it is two different. And and the unique thing about commercial too, is that there's different property types too. I mean, it's, you know, you, multifamily is going to be different than industrial and it's going to be different mm-hmm. than retail. And now office is going through an evolution and shift. So, yeah. you know, I can only imagine if you're, you know, strictly focused in that property type, you could obviously you take on a lot of risk um, unbeknownst to you. I mean, you would never have known what was happening in 2020. So you know, I, I don't, and I, I'm of the mindset too. You, you focus on one thing and just ride it out. And, you know, over time you, you, you become an expert in that. And if you decide later on, you want to focus on something else, then you can do that as well. So. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting the, the way you say that makes, makes me think about the bank failures, 
because mm-hmm. they had such a high concentration, right? So mm-hmm. you're saying if you're concentrated on one asset class in commercial, you're, you could be exposed, which is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd want to stay focused. So there's a balance here, which I don't know exactly how to do, but um, you know, Silicon Valley Bank went down because they were, they're high concentration. So mm-hmm. yeah. And, and we'll get into that. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to to hear your take on it because, you know, obviously the you know, the Fed had a part to play in what, what occurred as well, you know, and, and I think that it's one of those unintended consequences, even though like I was kind of flabbergasted that, that you wouldn't have at least considered some of these instruments being a potential risk, especially because with some of these larger institutions, I mean, everything's out in the open. They have to divulge all their, you know, financial information, positions and whatever else. And as someone of, the caliber of you know the Federal Reserve Chairman and all their different heads of the different banks. I mean, I feel like you would you would want to make sure that you know the your your purpose is to make sure the banking system is healthy and what the implications of making these drastic decisions when it comes to you know the, the positions they've taken over the last yeah. six months could impact. So that's um, a very interesting conversation we could go into mm-hmm. about that because for the most part, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that this was all by design. You can't increase rates at this pace. It's never been done in history. Mm-hmm. You can't expect there not to be some fallout. And who else was going to fall out besides the banks that invest in low interest rate, long-term debt? 100%. I mean, it's by design. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and we're in a fractional banking system. So the deposits you make at banks are not going, are not in liquid form at, at all times. I mean, you got, oh. you know, they, they have 10% or whatever the, the requirement is for reserves. So any fluctuation in, in, in withdrawals is going to cause potentially cause issues. And that's exactly what we saw. I mean, it wasn't yeah. that the banks were quote unquote unhealthy. It's just, they were forced into a position where they had to, you know, take significant losses because if they had no, held they, a, if they held maturity then we wouldn't even have this this conversation really so right. they did a lot of yeah. things right they had more liquidity than you're even suggesting mm-hmm. and it still wasn't enough yeah but, and what's interesting about that is which is great we're talking about real estate here because real yeah. estate really is a safe haven mm-hmm. um, i believe that wholeheartedly we talk about fdic insurance and we could say yeah. till we're blue in the face that the fdic does not have enough insurance to insure the deposits we know this is true yet we feel very comfortable investing in the bank mm-hmm. we think that's safe it erodes faster than in inflation right you're you're actually losing money right out of the gate and now we know it could be risky yeah, hundred percent. And 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 historically, people say, "Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to invest in that. I'm just going to keep my money in the bank." And you know, they think it's like you're stuffing money under your pillow. It's like, no. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think the bank's doing with that money? It's just going to. You think it's just going to sit there? No, of course not. It's going to get circulated, and you know, yeah. obviously, there's we we've seen it happen in the past, and and a lot of times, like we had just talked about right now, it's it's not necessarily. Although you know, I'm sure they're from a risk management standpoint, maybe they took positions that they probably shouldn't have. In hindsight, but again, you had the, the corpus of data you had to, to look back on and say, okay, well, the Fed's not going to possibly, you know, do what they did over the last six months. I mean, it's never been done in history, but black swan events happen every other year, as they say. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, but, and you can't blame the bank. They invested no. in what we're told is the most safe investment possible. Absolutely. That's what we're, yeah. that's what we're taught and that's what we're told. Yeah. But what we don't understand is the interest rate, you know, the inverse reaction to the interest rate. So, but- I can't blame them for investing in treasuries, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah who knows? <laughs> but so one thing I'm kind of curious about, and we'll, we'll we'll jump back in the topic of of the economy uh, here shortly because I'm really fascinated by it. But you know, for our listeners, obviously you operate in the 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 private lending space. So right. could you kind of give us an understanding of the difference between private lending and then you know traditional financing with let's say you know mom and uh, you know uh, you know uh, Wells Fargo Chase right. or whatever else. Yeah, so the interesting thing about the conventional world um, is that they they really try to fit the box, right? You have to hit certain things, debt to income ratios, DSCR ratios, um, global cash flow, those types of things they have to check off the box or you're not going to get the loan. And what's very interesting about it, what we're going through right now is banks change the rules even after they issue term sheets. So you're constantly aiming at a moving target. I mean, that's because of ultra conservative and what they feel is safe loans. Now, when you get into the private money world or the hard money or however you want to phrase it, now you're talking about more common sense, I think. It's a very common sense approach. Like, can you show me how you're going to pay me back? If you could paint that picture and tell that story, then we could probably find a way to work together. Um, it probably means a good deal, right? It probably means a plan for an exit. It probably does mean having some liquidity. But it's not the very tight little box that you would get in the in the conventional world or the bank's world. Now, in exchange for getting outside the box is you got to pay a little bit more. So it's a little bit more expensive than you would get get with a bank, although they're getting pretty close uh, now. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, yeah you're you're 100 right, and and I and I echo that sentiment regarding you know they issue you a term sheet and then halfway through they just decide, oh wait, well actually, so we had that Double happen time. last year. It happened like twice to me when, when we were in active transactions, I had a couple of clients that, you know, I had, a, I was representing the seller and, you know, the buyer on the other side was like, Oh, by the way, like we were thought we were getting this rate and now they're changing the the, the method on us and they want more down and now they're going to raise us, you know? And so it was like kind of trying to hold the deal together by its, you know, by fingernails. And luckily we were able to get it done, but yeah, it's so frustrating. Of, right? And it happens, but, but that's, but that's under and, and understanding that banks are inherently risk averse. They are the, the most conservative entities around. So, you know, obviously having that, that the opportunity to, you know, access this type of capital could very well be beneficial depending on what scenario you're, you're, you're faced with. Yeah. And we're able to be more creative um, because our capital source so we have, it's mostly private money. We have a little bit of leverage, but it's very small. It's mostly just private individuals like you and I mm -hmm. investing in a fund. And then we use that to make, make these loans. The cool thing about what we're doing that might be different than some of the other fund managers is we have a public fund. So I could offer it out mm -hmm. to in the public. Um, I could take accredited, non-accredited investors. Um, so I really open up this world of investing, the main street versus Wall Street world to everybody. It's amazing. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's nice. So I'm kind of curious uh, if you can paint us like a, an example of a scenario in the private lending uh, to how it could be actually the most beneficial uh, for someone to go yeah. in the private lending. I got a story I'll tell you right now. It just happened. Um, it was a, it was an apartment building in Chicago. Um, I think it's worth maybe 40-ish million dollars when it's all done, but they were getting a screaming deal because it was 20% occupied and the primary tenant was actually leaving. Now, they were breaking a lease, so there was a pretty big lease buyout, so that was good. That can help with some of the um, CapEx, but it was a, it was an apartment building in a difficult, challenging time to finance it it's in January, and the bank 
we're talking about it, decided they don't want any more apartment assets in their portfolio. So they pulled out, but this is one of those deals. A lot of our investors are value add investors and they and they're they're on pretty strict deadlines and timelines and this kind of thing. And they had to, they had to close. Now we had a full package. We had the appraisal, we had all of the environmentals, we had feasibility, we had all of the diligence done. The bank just said no. And we had about two weeks to close it. So it was a $4 million loan, about an $8 million purchase. They had to bring in some extra equity to get comfortable. But we closed the commercial, big commercial deal in two weeks when the bank said no. Now, where else are you going to go to get that deal closed if you don't have relationships in the private money space? 100%. No, I mean, and and like you said, I mean, a lot of times I think people don't understand the mechanics of the back end when it comes to these traditional banks. Like there's board approval depending on what level of of loan you're getting. So if it's a very large loan, sometimes it has to go to committee. And if the president of the bank decides, hey, you know, we're overexposed in this area and, you know, we don't want any more of that, they can veto it, even though they could have, quote unquote, you know, issued a term sheet and, you know, yeah, made it seemed like you guys are going to the table and, you know, I mean, you're and, spending and, money, right? Absolutely. Robert, we're spending yeah, absolutely. money on appraisals. And- absolutely. And you, but you, but, but you, you read the fine print of what they, you know, there's always the fine print in those documents where you're just like, you know, they can, they can find a way to get out if they need to. But, but again, I think having access, like you had mentioned to this, to this ent- private capital could be phenomenal uh, for a variety of different reasons. And especially now that, that with what's been going on in the economy, you know, banks are obviously going to continue to tighten. Sure. I don't think there's any question about that. So, you know, where are you going to be able to gain access to some of this, this capital? I think these these means can be very much very beneficial yeah banks are going to be in some trouble here um on the commercial asset side because of the dscrs you know these properties mm-hmm. are no longer you're probably experiencing this jeff tell me what you think but as the interest rates go up and these terms term out they mm-hmm. have to refinance them right mm-hmm. that's how most investors will do oh, it. Yeah. They'll refinance and get a new loan well now it doesn't dscr because interest rates so much higher so now you have loans that don't fit into that little box we're talking about because the DSCR ratio is out of whack. They either need to bring equity to bring the loan down so that it will DSCR or what? What's the option? Yeah. And they yeah. can't, yeah. a lot of times they can't refinance. They can't put a, a loan on their books that doesn't DSCR. The bank regulators hate that. Yeah, it sounds crazy, guys. It sounds crazy, but this is real. And I think you're going to start seeing some of this. I oh I know you will yeah and and for those of you guys who are listening you know I'm I'm sure some know who DSCR is it's a debt service coverage ratio it just gives it's a ratio that that lenders look at to determine how well an asset is going to cover its debt so if you have a revenue that's you know 1.3 times your whatever your debt obligation is that's a 1.3 uh, DS DSCR uh, and lenders you know now I've talked to I talked to a lot of local and regional lenders and instead of doing the 1.25 DSCR, which is kind of what the baseline has always been, 1.2, 1.25, I've I've heard as much now that they're, they're starting to creep up to 1.5, which is crazy to me. I mean, I remember during COVID, the uh, one of the things happened where I, we had a big, uh, we did a decent-sized uh, shopping center deal. I was representing the buyer, and it was a screaming deal. It was a great deal for the, for the buyer, but they assigned like a 25% vacancy because they're like, oh, it's retail. Oh, COVID, everything shut down. Okay, 25% vacancy. So obviously it didn't cash flow. And so the loan didn't get done. And I'm assuming this is probably a similar reaction given what's been happening in the landscape. So, um, yep. yeah, it, yeah, again, it, it goes back to the 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 conservative how cons- the conservative nature of lenders as, as a whole. So, I, yep, totally. I, don't know, I, I think me personally would want to take that my money out of the bank and put it into a property, even 
even though you are going to be struggling with interest rates and all that. But um, like like you were saying, Kevin and uh, Raphael, both that you know it's not a guarantee once you have it in there. Well, and and the the benefit of having a real asset is that over time you can still access that money if you needed to refinance. Like you could refinance right. in the future if you wanted to, and obviously you may be able to go to you know private money lenders or other entities to to. to essentially get collateral put up your property as quote unquote collateral to, to be able to access some of that capital too so there's different ways to access capital when you have real assets but if your money's just sitting in the bank as we've noticed and 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 seen there, there's yeah. risks in that too it's not it's not a fully guaranteed uh scenario so yeah so we're yeah. investing in the stock market right that's what we always we always learn that too how safe mm -hmm. is the stock market well if you're in any of those stocks bank stocks earlier this week, you lost half your money in one day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How safe is that? This is why real estate is so smart. Now you got to be smart when you do your diligence and get into good properties, of course, but man, where else can you be safe right now? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I mean, you start thinking about from a, from an institutional standpoint, when you talk about the stock market, I mean, you got high velocity trading going on. I mean, you're not going to be able to compete if you're doing you're individual stock. That. No, you're not individual stock trading. There's no way. Like then there's there's way there's a lot of people way smarter than you who, yeah, right. who are out there playing in that in that in those waters. So, but yeah, you're right. I think, you know, as we as we have seen for many years, real estate is such a, a phenomenal opportunity if you do, you know, like you said, do your diligence, buy right and and yep. you know, do what you need to do on that front. So, yeah, and you know, it's cliché, but we talk about it a lot. You don't you can marry a property, but you don't marry a rate, right? Have you heard this? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred you know, percent. Yeah. I mean, we loan money at twelve percent. Do you think anybody wants to marry that? No, they're mm -hmm. getting to the the point in time where it's bankable and they refinance. What What's the timeline? Again, I'm sure it's deal specific, but what's usually the timeline that you've seen a lot of your your clients kind of you know refinance when it comes to that sort of thing? Yeah. So on the commercial side, it takes a little while to stabilize a property. So this office building, we wrote it for two years because I know it's going to take them a little while to get to a point where it's going to be bankable. Mm. Um, but if it's a small retail center or something, we might do a year, maybe 18 months. Um, kind of depends on what bank they're going to go to for the refinance and what the if there's any seasoning. Like Sometimes mm. you'll see banks say, well, I want you to season this occupancy mm. level for a certain amount of time. So we really try hard to work with our clients and, and make sure that we're setting them up for success. But Gosh, you want to get out of that money as soon as possible, right? No, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, no, and 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 that's why I'm curious about. And 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 so I guess during that process where you know you've allocated the capital, um, and then you know you're working with. Do you, so throughout the process of you working with your clients, are you in communication with them as they're looking to refinance to make sure that everything looks okay, or is it just kind of let them yeah, have their thing? That's a good thing? question. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a broken system within our company that you're bringing up right now. Thanks for exposing no. me. No, 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 yeah. no, absolutely not. I'm just curious. I'm more curious than anything, really. No, we. it's more like uh, originate it and forget it until there's a problem or we get paid back. That's kind of been how it's worked for us. Now, in the commercial space, we don't have many problems because it's a little bit of higher sophistication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, A lot of the residential fix and flippers, they saw a show on TV. You know, we work with newer folks, so they, they see a show on TV and they get really excited and then they want to go out and do a deal. Now, we want them to have a team around them. They're not, we're not going to say, go take all your risks with our money, but um, they're not as sophisticated as a commercial investor in most cases. Hundred percent, yeah, and and yeah. and that that's fair as well. Um, so that's great. So one thing I'm kind of curious is obviously we, we're currently in an environment that is very tumultuous to say the least. But you know, I'm of the mindset that as we get through this this you know come this this process or this 
you know, the, 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 the disruption in the market. I think there will be opportunities going forward that, that will be beneficial for a lot of people that are in the investment space. So if you could talk a little bit about, you know, the current landscape of, of what, what you think is, is happening. And then obviously going forward, you know, what do you think the yeah. opportunities lie from a lending standpoint, from a, from an investment standpoint, et cetera? Yeah. So I really think this all hinges on unemployment. Um, and the yeah. reason I say that is because with unemployment so low and unemployment's a tricky number because a lot of times people that are unemployed or underemployed aren't even counted in the numbers because this is all a survey and maybe they're not even looking for a job. Um, so it's somewhat artificial, but that when we see the unemployment go up, I think that's when you'll see inflation come down. Mm. And that's what the Fed is looking for. Without with strong employment, we're not going to see higher in, or we're not going to see inflation going down. Um, so I really think it hinges on unemployment. Now with bank failures, um, you're going to see more people out of work, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and there is layoffs. We're hearing it in tech. We're hearing it in real estate, but it's not across the board. So we're not really seeing the the numbers go up. As far as opportunities go, I think this is we're in for a little bit of a long haul here. Um, I do think the Fed is doing everything right at this point. They've kind of messed it up prior to now, but now you got to get unemployment. Uh, I'm sorry, inflation under control. Now, what is it? Six percent as of two days ago. Mm -hmm. So we're getting we're getting there. Um, and they've also already started saying that the two percent target is not necessarily. They don't necessarily need to hit that, which is interesting. Um, so if we start seeing that come down, then then that's when the rates start to loosen up. And that's when everything in our industry starts to loosen up and it kind of goes back to normal. But I think it's going to take some time, guys. And and I don't think we're going to see a lot of opportunity on the residential side. And, and the reason for that is we're have, we have an inventory uh, shortage. And I don't know where the inventory is going to come from unless we see a tremendous spike in unemployment. Mm -hmm. If unemployment goes way up and we see a lot of layoffs, then you might start seeing some more houses hit the market. But why would anybody move when they're locked in at 2% or 3%? They're, yep. they're, it's a seller strike. They're not going to put their house on the market right now. Um, so well, I think someone yeah. insulated on the resi side, commercial, gosh, I, I do think that that's where the opportunity is. And and I already alluded to it, but it's going to be because the, I think the banks are going to get into some trouble. Yeah, hundred percent. And like you said, they're probably going to want to, you know, call a little bit of their, the loans that they've, you know, that are coming to maturity. I mean, that that's, yeah. that's, I think the biggest thing is, you know, as, as these loans start coming to term, they're probably going to reevaluate and say, okay, do we really want, you know, this office building on our books? Most yeah. likely not. I mean, and they might have to call it. Yeah. Hundred percent. Might not even be an option. Well, did you see in New York City the other day? Well, it was I read in the article that that some this massive landlord, office landlord, just handed back the keys to the bank for mm -hmm. for an office building, and I feel like that's going to happen a lot over over the course of you know several several years in a lot of major metro areas because oh, yeah. you know who knows? I mean, obviously, office has changed drastically, and it will remain changed for many many years. I think we're starting to see a little bit more of you know trends as far as employers demanding that at least their employees come in for part of the time. But I don't think we'll ever get back to the, you know, the five day work week in the, in the office. And obviously that's going to mean less space demands. And a lot of these leases are, you know, five, 10, 15 years for a lot of these large corporations, but as they start coming due, I mean, they're, they're going to shrink their footprint. It's going to happen. It's just part of the, yeah. you know, the natural progression of, of space demand. So, you know, obviously office is going to be disrupted. You know, retail has been disrupted for a while, Footprints just continue to shrink, but you know retailers are still very active in the landscape, and I think that's part sure. partly because you know there's still strong demand for for product. I mean, I don't. I mean, 
we haven't seen a dip in in consumer spending. It's it's kind of crazy that we haven't. But it, that's because people are working, right? It's true. Yeah. Well, it's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. But but even then, it's like you know, you would think with all the things that are happening in the economy that there would be more, you know, there'd be more sentiment about oh, maybe we should pull back a little bit. But maybe that's just human that psychology. Come. That yeah. will come. I mean, we we're we're seeing record consumer debt now. So yeah. as I mean, once you start hitting your limits, you can't you you gotta stop spending, right? And we're <laughs> we're kind of getting there. So yeah, I don't know what we might we might see some some there. Um, going back to one of your points about the interest rates, um, I can't remember exactly what you said, but it made me think about residential versus commercial. And you know, commercial is very sensitive to interest rates. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is because investors buy commercial buildings. Mm-hmm. You don't have the owner awk emotional buyer. Right? It's very much profitability. And with interest rates higher, the price has to come down to hit a target return. Mm-hmm. So the, it is sensitive to to uh, interest rates. Commercial is absolutely. Yeah. And and and, yeah. and values driven by the income produced by the building. So it, if you have higher interest sure. rates, your debt is obviously higher each month obligation. So then your revenue, unless, unless rates continue to rise, which we're already in an environment where Rents are beginning to dip depending on what property type you're in. So you're obviously going to have less NOI, which ultimately leads to lower value. So yeah. you're 100% right. Yeah, and it was a given the keys back comment that made me think of that. Well, he's given the keys back because he doesn't have any equity anymore. That's why that happened. Yeah, and it, and, yeah. and it makes sense. They're probably like, well, we could hold this and hope to ride the storm, or we could shore up our positions with other properties we have and then just you know kind of live to fight another day. So I'm sure they that they thought long and hard before doing it, but it yeah, obviously made, made sense for them to move forward on that in that direction yeah well kevin i'm kind of curious um if you could go back in time and speak to your younger self um what advice would you give yourself um and i don't know how far you want to go back but i would say like you can do 10 years or 20 years if you like and just maybe maybe if you went out of college or something like that or getting into the workforce So probably not stress too much. You know, I get this question sometimes and I I really like to answer it this way. Like I had success because I had a very uh, ready fire aim mentality. I was willing to put in the work. I was willing to fail. I knew, in fact, I knew going into this business, I was going to trip up and fall down. And all I knew, I had to just get back up and go go again. And if I continue to fall down and and get up and, and I would eventually be successful, so what I would tell somebody else kind of getting started was, gosh, just take action. Just do freaking something because you can't turn the vehicle if it's not moving. You can't correct and get better if you're not moving. So my my advice to somebody else would be fire and aim. And it sounds crazy because it's not always safe, but at least you're moving forward and you can get to where you, you need to go. Um, my younger self, I used to stress out. <laughs> stress out a lot. I don't do that much anymore. I spend a lot of time for mind, mindfulness and that kind of thing. Um, but gosh, life's short guys. And if you could, if you're so focused on making money and something goes wrong and it really stresses you out, that's, that's not a way to live. Yeah. That's a very wise way to approach the world because you're right. I mean, we're only here for a short period and and we, and tomorrow's not promised. I mean, you could, God forbid something happens and you get in a car wreck tomorrow, you know, you never know. And so you know, taking time to really reflect on your life and, and be grateful for what's going on and and taking that that approach of, you know, getting better every day. And that means putting yourself out of your comfort zone every once in a while to make yeah. sure that you grow. How else do you do it? I don't know if there's another way. I know that works. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's shown in, it's it's manifested in your life for that exact reason. So 
Um, I think that's some great advice that you, you shared with the audience. So one thing I'm kind of curious about, and this is something we like to ask our guests near the end of the podcast is we have a, um, we're obviously voracious readers. I know Jeff and I really, you know, love all different types of books, not just commercial real estate related books. But if you had one book that you could recommend as far as like one that was extremely inspiring to you or impactful in any way, what would that be? It doesn't have to be real estate related. You know, we've had people share a wide variety of books. So. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure this is one that a lot of your guests recommend because it really is the it's the purple Bible. It's the one that gets so many people started and it's Rich Dad Poor Dad. I, I would not be where I am if I didn't read that book. Um, and, you know, my, my girlfriend has three kids. I have two. <clears throat> we have five kids all together and we're a blended family. And the oldest one came to me the other day and says, how do I how do I do it? I want to make money. And I'm like, gosh, darn, that sounds a lot like a book I read. Um, so bought it for him. Hey, read it, and then we'll then we'll talk. That's nice. Amazing. I like that. Yeah, a lot. I'm gonna yeah. use that for my kids. <laughs> Absolutely. And the good yeah. thing, the, the the amazing thing about the book, and is obviously the 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 relatability in a lot of ways. It's 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 oh, very yeah. the idea is very simple, but the way that he pre- presents it is like there's two comparisons. This is the traditional route of you going to get your education, what you've been fed really all your life. I mean, I came from that type of household. My dad was a physician, wanted me to become, you know. Uh, you know, master's, PhD, whatever else, and realized that wasn't the route I wanted to take. But that the non-traditional route, as it's as it's often defined, is one that if you're willing to stick to it, I mean, can really make make your life much more worthwhile. So, oh man, big no, I difference, think it's right? absolutely. Yeah. So, thanks for sharing that. I mean, the education system is meant to produce workers, right? Not actually leaders or uh, owners of businesses. So. There's a reason for it. I mean, we need workers. And I think that was a system they started a while ago. Hey, let's do this and at least get them educated enough to where they can be a great employee. But, yeah, I could not agree with you more, Jeff. And that benefits you and it benefits me and it benefits a listener to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. We need that. Yeah, yeah we yeah, do. We definitely but, but do. I wish we would have more critical thinking in, in a lot of ways. Like, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times when you're interacting with a lot of professionals, not everyone, obviously, but there's a lot of situations where I've been there and I, I'm like, you didn't really think through yeah. before, before you ask a question, it's like, if it's not right in front of you, or if it's not, uh, you know, spelled out, it's like, Oh, what do I do? You know, but that's, I feel like what you're taught when you're in an institution, like public schools or any of these other, you know, institutions is it, it it's, it's in your book, you memorize, it's like rote memory as opposed to, you know, reasoning which is, in my opinion, the most valuable skill you can have in life. Oh, I I couldn't agree with that more. And, and as a leader, we have to have that skill, right? And we want our people to have that skill. So it really comes down to the questions you ask, right? Your mm-hmm. questions you ask your own self and mm-hmm. you ask people, because I get it all the time. Well, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. No, I didn't ask you if you could do it. The question was, how do we accomplish this? I'm making you think, right? Mm-hmm. So, exactly. Well, Kevin, again... We appreciate um, all the words of wisdom that you've given. Uh, I enjoyed your story and listening to all this stuff. Um, uh, but one of the questions that we like to ask our guests um, is we have a CRE treasure chest. which is a repository of things that uh, guests have given, like such as eBooks or PDFs or case studies. Uh, so our question is, what are you willing to contribute to the treasure chest yeah, today? I'm glad you asked that, Jeff. So in this crazy environment that we're in with the economy, um, we really need to be uh, astute to it and so we can navigate, mm-hmm. right? So 
I get questions all the time. Are we going to have another crash like we had in 2008, nine and 10? Is this, is this going to happen? And then it's very scary when you start seeing, you know, banks, big banks start to fail, right? So we always go back to 2008. I hear all the time. What's interesting is what we're going through now, it doesn't resemble 2008. It's not yeah. going to be the same as that. So what If you go back through the recessions and you see in like 1990s, the early 90s, that's the one that most is most similar to what we're going through now. So I wrote a pretty detailed report comparing those two. Now I'm probably going to have to refresh it now that everything happened the week we're recording this. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, I think your listeners can get a lot of value at, out of comparing those two recessions. I think we're in a recession. Now we're not being told that because of the unemployment number, but I mean, yeah. if, if you look around, you you realize that we're kind of in a recession. So I, I would give that away for free. Um, it's just the pinereport.com. Um, there's another little report on there if you want to lend money to people and how to stay safe doing that. I see people lose money a lot of times because they're a little reckless. So I wanted to help people with that too. Um, so there's actually two reports on that site. That's amazing. And we'll make sure that yeah. the link's included in, in your in your uh, thumbnail. So we'll have like a, a thumbnail above the Siri treasure chest for, for Kevin and it'll be, be able to access there. And you were referencing the, the savings and loans crisis, correct? In yeah, it, it late, came yeah. later because that was yeah. like in the in the early '80s. But the high interest rate that led up to that crash is sure. kind of what we're experiencing now. That's oh cool. yeah, right. '80s interest rates. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're it, it was really hot there, but no, yeah. For sure. I mean, it's creeping. It's going. It's going that direction. Yeah. So. Well, there there was a lot of things that happened in that time too that kind of led us to that as well, which we're, we may not be experiencing currently. But you know, I do agree that there's you know we're in a very tumultuous time whereby the interest rates have spiked significantly very quickly. And that obviously is leading to a lot of different um, issues in the economy, but we do appreciate that. I'll go ahead and uh, we'll make sure include that in the, in the description underneath your CRA treasure chest. So we do appreciate that. So Kevin, thanks again for your time. We obviously appreciate it. We know we're a very busy individual and uh, looking forward to keeping in touch. As far as people wanting to learn more about what you guys do, whether or not they want to access private capital uh, for their projects or really any other questions they have related to lending. What, what's what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, you know, we're really proud of our YouTube channel. We put out one video a week and it's really just real short, five, 10 minute snippets on real estate investing and how to do it and make money. So I'm really proud of that. It's just YouTube backslash Pine Financial. Um, if you want to reach me, the website's the best way to do it. It's pinefinancialgroup.com. Awesome. So we'll make sure we include that in the show notes. So if you guys are watching this on YouTube, it'll be in the description. If you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, it'll be in the description as well. So again, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. We do greatly appreciate it. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate it if you can like and subscribe to this channel. It really helps and makes a difference to the YouTube algorithm and ensures more and more people can hear this message. Along with that, if you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, please, please, please leave a five-star review. We've seen a significant uptick in our downloads as a result of you guys doing so. So we would greatly appreciate it. So thank you all so much for tuning in and we'll see you all next time.